Welcome to The Bipod, a podcast about all things bisexual. We cover topics like bisexual representation, our own experiences, and queer culture. I'm Chelsea, and my pronouns are they and them. I'm Christina, and my pronouns are she and her. We define bisexuality as experiencing attraction to people who share your gender identity and to those who don't. We welcome anyone who has any kind of relationship with or curiosity about queerness. For more info about the show, you can visit thebipod.com or find us on Instagram at thebipod. We don't know everything. At all. This podcast is one piece of the long history of bisexual and queer discourse. We're here to be part of the conversation. Let's get into it. Chelsea here with a quick note for you. We are working on an episode about heteronormativity and compulsory straightness, and we would love to hear from some of our listeners about experiences you've had or any of your thoughts and feelings about heteronormativity. You can leave us a voicemail, you can send us an email, you could send us an Instagram DM. However you want to talk to us, we would love to hear from you. And our hope is to include some listener messages in the episode. Hi, Chelsea. Hi, Christina. How's it going? Um, it's going well. I have. I thought we agreed we weren't gonna like ask each other that anymore. Oh, you're right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I. It's going fine. <laughs> but I definitely like. Sec- I thought we agreed. <laughs> I was definitely like, is that true? Is it fine? I'm sorry. I don't know. Hi, Chelsea. You seem well. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) Uh, um, Well, today we're going to be talking about queer art making. Yeah, we're going to get to hear some from your book. Yeah, if you're lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And talk, we'll talk a little bit about um, outness (laughs) Mm -hmm. in, in creative work. Mm-hmm. in a variety of fashions and uh i think probably also get into who gets to make queer art a little bit um but first we can uh, maybe check in about uh something new and exciting that the folks at home might know about which is our patreon yeah one um yeah if you didn't listen to the last episode um sad for you uh <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't listen to the first episode of this season um and you don't follow us on instagram you might not know that we have a patreon now as of the beginning of june um which you can find at patreon.com slash the bipod easy easy yeah um but you can support the show and get some goodies in exchange and uh Get to actively be part of the bipod community. Yeah, we love that. Um, yeah, how are you um feeling about having a a Patreon? Is this your first uh what's a word that's less specific than Patreon? Is this your first like I'm doing things with my hands? I don't know. Is this your first Patreon? Um, <laughs> it is my first Patreon. I a couple years ago it was more than a couple years ago now, but a while ago, um, I did a Kickstarter to fund a couple of chapbooks. Um, 
so that has some like similar elements. I think the difference is that like a Kickstarter, you have a specific goal, a particular amount of money that you're trying to raise, um, and you're only doing it for like 30 days. So right. it's like this is the window in mm-hmm. which the thing is happening. There's an end date. Yeah. Um, but a Patreon goes on indefinitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I have had to I have had to do like a little bit of a reframe around like we're in this for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Um like we on so the day that it, we like announced um I even though I have the notifications turned on to like tell me when people sign up, I still like checked the patreon like probably every five minutes Mm -hmm. um and like the episode went live at 6 a.m um and when i like woke up at 6 30 i was like no one has signed up yet (laughs) (laughs) um and it's not it's not that i was like wow instantly we're gonna have like thousands of patrons Mm -hmm um although that would have been nice it would have it definitely (laughs) would have been and we do like uh i don't want to make us sound we have we have patrons we do (laughs) we do have patrons um we do have patrons um thank you so much yeah those of you who already subscribed um but yeah it was just the like the like realistically i knew that it wasn't going to be like the episode goes live and everyone's going to sign up the second they hear it everyone has their alarm set for 6 a.m to (laughs) wake up and get their weekly bi-weekly dose of uh, (laughs) bisexual content Uh, yeah like intellectually i knew that wasn't going to happen but there was still a part of me that was like what do you mean at 6 30 (laughs) a.m on a thursday people haven't like all listened to the episode and immediately signed up which is longer than 30 minutes (laughs) 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 um yeah which i mean i think that's i feel that way anytime we do a thing i'm like both the feeling of no one's gonna like no one's gonna come to my metaphorical party Mm -hmm. and then also like Wait, what do you mean not everyone is at my metaphorical party already? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> relatable. Yeah. It might be my um my Leo second house. That could be the problem. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> you want to be in the sunlight, but you want to be sure of the sunlight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about you? How are you feeling? Yeah. Um I feel good. I also, um, I have feelings about asking people for things, <laughs> um, which I'm sure no one else can relate to. And I uh, have feelings about um, like money um, and exchanging money. Yeah. Um, but I feel really good about the way that it's set up. And I feel, I like Patreon as um, a platform because it like does feel very community oriented depending on how it's set up and a lot of the people that I support on Patreon like it feels very much like I can like hop onto their page and like you know there's like things going on and I'm like conversing with other patrons and um that feels good and I also uh really like that the Patreon allows us to keep the show free 
um, which is really important. Um, and I feel very um, held by the people who have looked at the Patreon, who have signed up already, who intend to sign up. Um, I feel like we made a leap and people caught us, which is nice. Yeah. Um, and I think our many uh, thoughts and feelings about the experience of launching this Patreon, um, I think dovetail really well with the conversation about queer art making, mm-hmm. um, which brings up a lot of, uh, touches on a lot of themes of vulnerability, mm. of excitement, of possibility. Uh, there's, there's a lot there. Yeah. It's fertile. <laughs> yeah, I feel very exposed this month. Um, yeah, it's been less than a month. Um, my book came out um, with honestly not a lot of notice for me um, and now the Patreon is out and I'm like, wow, I'm like asking people to support me um, and they are, which is great and wild and uh, humbling and cool. Yes, your book, Girl Teeth, was in fact the number three new release. Yeah, in- it was number two for like a quick second. Oh, but- yeah. Um. <laughs> Did you did you briefly surpass Ocean Vong for did, new release no in LGBTQ poetry? Yeah, the, which like like in reality, it updates hourly, so it yeah. was probably you know in that hour you uh, more people bought your book. Yeah, it um also that was a book that was like available for free download when you like like through Kindle or something. Mm. Um, I was trying to explain this to my partner um because I was like I'm not actually like a like bestseller lists are like extremely subjective and yes. like algorithm based and stuff because he was like trying to figure it out. Also, uh, in this case, it was new releases, so yeah. it wasn't like every book that was out. Ever. It's like books that have come out in a specific period of time. Yeah, um, and it was under yeah, it was under the queer, uh, queer poetry specifically. Yeah, um, so you know, little specific bubble there, but um, <laughs> we were just like talking about like algorithms and like how much like it's useful to like be like ranked there and like what it does for you and whatever and i was like most of these uh things i actually don't know but it was cool to see yeah um yeah i'm uh proud of my queer excellence (laughs) (laughs) very queer very excellent thank you (laughs) um yeah this is this is tangential to our conversation but since you mentioned it for anyone who doesn't know the New York Times bestseller list, it's considered sort of like the big bestseller list. That is an edited list. Yeah. Um, they choose who shows up on the list. So sometimes people who have sold more books are not on that list. Yeah. And it's a very misleading name. Yes. And then also the way that bestsellers are calculated for the New York Times bestseller list is um, they have specific stores, uh, like bookstores, where they count sales so it's not like every bookstore or it's not like they look at you know how many orders did the publisher get or the distributor or whatever they have specific bookstores that are reporting stores and it's based on sales at those stores Mm. um which stores are reporting stores is like a secret but sometimes people figure it out so there have been scandals in the past where people have gamed or tried to game the system there was a specific instance um, with the YA bestseller list 
where basically some people were trying to produce a movie and it's easier to get a movie made if you can be like, this is based on a best-selling book. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what the name of it was now, but I'm sure if you Google it, you could find it. Um, and so they found out, they figured out like a reporting bookstore and then just ordered a fuck ton of books from mm. that store so that it would inflate the numbers. So then they would be on the bestseller list. Uh, but it was the sort of, they ended up getting caught because I think primarily like YA authors, like people in the space were like, we have literally never heard of this book and it's like <laughs> topping the bestseller list. Yeah. Um, well, well, everybody at home, feel free to do that with my book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you find a reporting store, um, run it up. You know, yeah. feel free. You have <laughs> my permission. Yeah, do a, like a like a light crime. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, well, and it's like one of those things that is not. It's not a crime per se, right. but it is. They do like you're not supposed right. to do that. You can do some amount of like sales. You like bulk orders for like if you're going on a book tour and you need books like there are reasons that you would do bulk orders that are like I don't know if allowed is the right word but like allowed um and then there are reasons that are scammy yeah (laughs) yeah feel free to scam (laughs) go ahead do your thing (laughs) yes please buy 10,000 copies of Christina's book mm-hmm. at one of these bookstores. Yeah, do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but that uh felt good. I was like uh when it came out, I I've like had this experience a few times going through the process cuz like many people have read the book um for editing and everything. Um but I once again was like, "Oh no, people people are going to read this book." Like <laughs> That's what's going to happen. People are going to perceive me. Um, and and that has happened, uh, including you. You have perceived me. Um, in fact. But uh, something that, like, has been really um, moving for me is, like, a lot of people uh, who I've known at various stages in my life who I'm connected with on social media and stuff, uh, who I, like, maybe haven't talked to in a few years, but just, like, sort of still know. Um, like a lot of people in that category shared about my book and like bought it and like I was like oh wow like we are like on this little planet together and you're like doing (laughs) this really nice thing um, for a past version of me because you don't know me now Um, and it's been really cool and um, yeah just like really humbling and moving Um, and unexpected feels like the wrong word because I don't want to be like everyone hates me because that's not true but um yeah I don't know it's just been nice yeah it's been nice Mm, I'm glad to hear that it's a very good book thank you I mean what else are you gonna say right now (laughs) (laughs) um it's funny though because I like I am familiar with your work, so it's not like I didn't know it would be a good book. Um, but as I was reading it, I was like, this is like a genuine, like, it's not just <laughs> a good a book, book because I know you. Like, Aww. it's just a good book. Aw, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I haven't gotten, well, that's not true. I was going to say I haven't gotten any bad reviews, but it's 
not for everyone. Um, but yeah, I've been um, like my mom has read a lot of it, which let me tell you, being perceived by your parent, that's very strange. Um, <laughs> so she's like buying copies for her friends and stuff, uh, which is very sweet. Um, one of my high school teachers <laughs> bought a copy for her classroom and I was like, uh, you should like read it before you put it on the shelf. And she was like, oh yeah, I was going to. And I was like, you have my permission to tear pages out if you have to. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, I would say it's not explicit. I don't know. We start with a poem about sex robots. That's true. I did sort of forget <laughs> about the sex robots. How could you? I mean, I but I feel like if you, yeah, I, I put all of the like, hello poems in the first part for the most part, because I was like, I'm not trying to front at all. Um, when yeah. you open the book, you, you know what you're getting yourself into. But one of my friends bought a copy for her child um, because he like knows me very well and like loved the cover. And I was like, don't let your kid read it because he's like <laughs> seven. And she was like, I don't think he's going to read it. And I was like, okay, but like, he really shouldn't read it right now. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's an entirely different conversation to be had about who reads what when. But that's true, um, and that's a decision for parents to make, not for me. Yes, um, I have had a couple of like, wait, don't perceive me. What do you <laughs> like for me? The pipeline of like, hi, please buy my book and support me. Uh, to like, oh God, don't look at me, don't read it, don't talk to me about it, don't perceive me. It's just like a straight line. Um, but I feel I feel good about the way that um I have been held these past few weeks. Um, as I process what it is to be uh perceived in a long form. <laughs> um, and uh, I feel good. I think I will still have moments of like. Oh no, people see me now. Um but I, you know, we get through it. We push yeah. through it and I feel uh mostly very good about that. Good. Yeah. You spent a long time working on this. I did. I did. Yeah, pretty much actually on our sitting in my very first date, I had like just started. Um we I remember that we talked about it cuz one of our friend of the show, Micah, um asked me if I would write a book and then I went on my first date with Sydney a couple weeks later uh, and so when the book was coming out I was like wow this is like like the time I've been working on this book and the time we've been together are the same um and now the book is over so like do we break up like is, <laughs> <laughs> is this <laughs> was this just like a, a thing I was doing was this a phase? <laughs> uh, and we well I guess that would give you content for a second book yeah <laughs> I don't think art has to be traumatic like that but you know, sometimes it is. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I often, <laughs> uh, um, I often not so much now, but I used to make a lot of jokes, uh, in like at readings and stuff that being in like a healthy relationship had really like, uh, ruined my writing. Um, but that's actually wildly untrue. Um, I don't think that you have to be in a relationship to reach like a safe place. But for me, in like this particular experience, like especially doing so much of the work in quarantine, um, being in a very like safe and secure environment where I primarily only dealt with you and him, <laughs> um, that like allowed me to like go into places that like I otherwise maybe wouldn't have ventured into if I didn't have a safe place to come back to. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's been a quarantine experience. Yeah. We've also talked about offline about the way that like, 
often when it comes to I don't know relationship content or like desire uh content I I was gonna say poems and I was like it doesn't have to be poems it could be any medium um creative works that like actually a lot of times the 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 shorter the encounter or the like the smaller the tangible footprint it has Mm -hmm. in your life the bigger the like emotional Mm -hmm. impact is like the person I dated for two years I don't know that I wrote any poems about him I think I have one that like is sort of about him but is not exclusively about him Mm -hmm. meanwhile like the guy I was in love with in high school um who like was not remotely interested have Fertile written ground. so many like <laughs> every poem like yeah oh that's so relatable I feel like <laughs> yeah I was in a relationship with somebody for three years and I uh I just like don't have anything poetic to say there's no unexplored like we tried everything yes you yeah know? it's the, un- the unexplored yeah. is the sort of like I think one of my like most intense poems is about a person that I like met like we talked for two minutes maybe but I like it because it's not about the other person right. it's about all of your own like feelings yeah. that come up um and so like that there was a lot unexplored there because I talked to that person for two minutes yeah um, and if you knew them and you knew that like they brushed their teeth weird or something <laughs> like the poems are gone you know yeah. it's all about yeah, that's so true. Um, that person that I was in a relationship with for many, many years, there truly aren't any poems about him. And the, there's one title that sort of refers to him, but the poem, <laughs> like, just doesn't. Um, but many of the poems are about people that I, like, have no business writing a whole book of poems about because I knew them very briefly. But uh, especially in uh, quarantine and honestly, even beyond that, um, there's, like, a, a lot of fertile ground to explore because i get to like um, uh, imagine and wonder what could have been yeah um, or what could be and on the last time i read uh through my proof copy before we like publicized i was reading so the book is in four parts and part two is primarily breakup poems and uh i was reading it and i was like wow this is so unhinged <laughs> um and i like kind of kept going back and forth like every time i read the book i'd be like oh like this actually, like, this is okay. Like, I don't hate this book. And then the next reading, I'd be like, this is awful. And I'm like, okay, the book didn't change. <laughs> I changed what's going yeah. on. Um, but on my last reading, I was like, wow, uh, this is, I don't know that the world needs to know that I'm like this. <laughs> um, but I was like, hold on, hit the brakes, think about it. And I was like, actually, you know, it's, it's honest um, and it's fine, I think. I don't know, but yeah, it's like just um a lot of uh content about people who I, I hope won't read the book and if they <laughs> do read the book, I hope they don't recognize themselves. But I also had to come to terms with like what if they do? Um and if they do then they do. Yeah. There's nothing I can do about it. Well, and something that we've talked about is that like it's not actually about them, right? Yeah. Like it's about There's a poem you. in the book that says like <laughs> 
no one's making you read this book. This is this book is about me. Yeah. <laughs> and that's my safety. Uh, it's my blanket statement of is this poem about me. Like, nope, it's all about me. Yeah. But um, I think the. And also, like, um, we have definitely joked about, like, do not assume I am the speaker of the poem, yeah. like, <laughs> uh, which is both a valid, like, critical perspective of, like, you shouldn't read any creative work and, like, assume that it is autobiographical. Yeah. Um, and also, it's, like, sort of a... I think we joke about it because it's like, no, this is definitely autobiographical. <laughs> yeah. But I think even things that aren't autobiographical are autobiographical in the fact that like it's coming out of your own brain. Like yeah. even if it's not actually about you, it's mm-hmm. like, but all of your experiences you are the yeah. things informing the thing. And yet also I, in my work at least, I feel like, like it is me, but also it's a, character of me like I think specifically Mm -hmm. in poetry I'm like this poem like the poem is about me but it's about a me that is like very reduced down Mm -hmm. into like specific parts because both like I could not capture the entirety of myself in a single poem you're simply too complex uh yeah (laughs) (laughs) and like also I don't know that that would make for a very good poem in that like it would be sort of all over the place whereas like if I reduce myself down into like um I want these things I do these things I act this way like that doesn't actually if you like if you just read my work without knowing me and then tried to like create a picture of who I was from that like Mm. you would have the right elements but the the overall picture would not be correct because you wouldn't actually have all the pieces oh that's interesting wow I'm just like imagining somebody like reading my book and then like trying to figure out who I am based on it (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, I really like I fell in love with like the bookmaking process in a way that I wasn't expecting to because I feel like with poetry, it's a very short form, like comparatively, unless you're writing epic poetry, which I'm certainly not. <laughs> um, and um, I like things about that. But then also uh, a trap that I and I have seen many other writers fall into is like, how am I going to fit the whole everything into uh, this one poem like how am I going to put every aspect and like tell like a whole story or the whole truth or whatever um, and when you're writing a book you don't have to uh, because like every it can be like a disco ball where like every poem is like a slightly different version of like the same answer to a question or like looking at a different part of the experience and you can like act as though that one part of the experience is the whole thing because in that poem it is but then you like have space and other places in the book to like get into the details and I really enjoyed being able to like weave those together instead of trying to be like okay I have like a 10 minute set like what am I going to do to show who I am I like felt like I had more space um and that's something that I tell my students all the time my uh like younger writing students is like um 
a lot of the poems that you see, especially I think like spoken word, uh, particularly, um, I see a lot of people try to like tell their whole, like put everything that they have to write poems about into one poem because Mm -hmm. the form sort of asks them to do that of like, you have this three minute poem and then it ends up being like, like they don't have a lot of space for poetry because they're just trying to like get the facts in. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but I just think that like having the, the space to like, to languish in uh, reality is really um, was cool. It's interesting though that brings up some interesting things about like form, mm-hmm. um, because I have experienced in working on a novel the. Uh, the more I worked on it, the more I realized that I was trying to put everything in that book. Mm. Um, I think some part of it, I think some of it was just like, well, I want this book to have everything I like in it. Yeah. Um, and I think some of it was like, but what if I like, what if this is the only book? Yeah. Uh, and mm. so very like, well, it's got to have everything that I think about and like want to talk about and everything I like and everything I dislike. Like it all has to be in here. Yeah. Um, and that really wasn't serving the book yeah. particularly. And so like revising it has really been a process of being like, what actually belongs in this book and what things will go in the next one yeah. or the one after that. And, and thinking of allowing myself to envision a body of work, um, which I guess is what you're talking like, you yeah. know, with the, in allowing myself to envision a body of work so that. I can really give myself space in an individual piece to be like, okay, this book only needs to do these things. Yeah. And it can be the project of another book to do the other things that Mm -hmm. I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like a a boldness of being like, I'm going to write another book. Um, And I think that we're like taught um, such like a scarcity mindset around like creativity Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, writing a novel, a very, uh, very intense project. (laughs) Um, and so there are maybe like reasons that people are like, okay, this is it. Like I'm doing this big thing. Um, but it is like so freeing to imagine, um, or to trust that like you'll make more things. Um, I definitely feel that, that like, uh, (laughs) when I was going through the final editing stages, I had to just tell myself, like, okay, you can't change this book anymore um, because, like, your writing changes so quickly, you know, or at least mine does. Um, and I was, like, exploring different things and, like, trying different stuff. And I was, like, I just need to have a different assignment. Um, so I gave myself a new assignment. And I've written, like, enough poems for another book. Um, I don't know that they go together. I'll figure that out at some point. Um, but being able to, like, abandon that scarcity to be, like, look. I can still make things. Um, yeah. It takes a lot of pressure for me off of this project. Yeah. You get to choose now if you oh. would like to <laughs> read some oh. poems or if you um, want to talk more about queer art making. <laughs> wow. Choose your own adventure. Uh, can I have both? Can I read one poem and then we can talk? Or is that too much? Yes. No, I wasn't saying oh. it was. W- it's not one or the other. I guess you have to do one first. Oh, I so guess. I can't. 
I'll, no, no, no. We'll do them at the same time. I'll read a poem <laughs> and you talk. <laughs> this would be performance art. Yeah. Um, and the performance art is about how uh, you can make more than one thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Would people like that? Um, do you have any requests? I have a poem that I like to read, um, the last one. But um, do you have uh, any requests uh, topically? Um, there's one poem in there that is like very explicitly bisexual. Like I think it talks about bisexuality. I definitely, as I read that, I was like, Christina could read this on the show. Yeah, I know what poem you're talking about. Um, there are two. Um, this one is in the middle of the book, and then there's one, um, at the end. It's the poem that I like to end all my sex with. So I'll read that one later. <laughs> um, but this one is called. I'll read it and then I'll talk about it. This one is called My Bi- My Bisexuality as a B-plus Summer Movie Trailer. All flashes of high and low points and always a little louder than you want it to be. A feature-length story accordion squished into six- 60 seconds or less, trying to answer your questions before you lose interest, trying to name myself before you reach your own conclusions. All rise, no fall. All conflict, no resolution. Did I do it right? Are you convinced I could be good? Will you show up at the theater opening weekend? Or will you wait to hear what everyone else has to say? Hmm. Um, the prompt for that poem was to write an extended metaphor poem, um, which is just a metaphor that extends, you know, self-explanatory, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I, like, don't like extended metaphors. Um they get cheesy in my own writing very quickly. That's why it's a very short poem. Um, but I challenged myself to push against um, that. And uh, so I was just like thinking about um, things that people make assumptions about. Um, and people make assumptions about films based on their trailers. Yeah. Um, and so that's how that's how we got there. <laughs> um. It's funny that lines up nicely because I so I have a poem about my experience of bisexuality, um, but it is not um, the poem is not what it is on the surface. Mm. Um, and I actually once for a workshop kind of wrote. It's not quite an essay, but. I'll just use the word essay because it's easier. I wrote an essay about the poem, Mm -hmm. which sort of in practice just becomes a poem around the poem. And so I thought perhaps I would read that. So you'll get both. You'll get the poem and also commentary on the poem. I love that. Everything I write is subterfuge. The words claim to be one thing when really they are another. I have a poem titled Menage a Trois, which is an obfuscation. The poem goes like this. It's the soft skin of her waist that you want beneath your fingertips and wanting to dig your nails into his back. It's twisting her hair around your fingers and having him inhale you like the smoke of his cigarette. It's her tracing circles on pale skin and his teeth on your thighs. It's a body pressed against you and feeling completely weightless. The story of the poem is this. I am walking down the street with Carter. I don't know where from or where to. Probably a party. He asks me what it's like being bisexual, or more specifically, 
He asks me how being attracted to women is different from or the same as being attracted to men. He's genuinely curious, unassuming. I gesture with my hands, grasping, because that's where I feel it. A difference in how I touch and want to be touched. But Carter doesn't know the language of my hands, and so I use a language he does know. Perhaps what I call subterfuge is not hiding, but translation. Trying to find a language that other people know. A way of using the landmarks you know to tell you the story of the landmarks I know. Things that do not feel so specific as myself. Maybe it is also a test. Each pop culture reference and misleading poem title a question. Did you catch that? Then we understand each other. We know something other people don't. You might understand the things I have to say. Mm. Wow. I'm clapping into the microphone. (laughs) Wow. That is a poem within a poem. It's beautiful. Thank you. Art is so good. (laughs) It is. It is so good. I haven't like... um, I haven't read that in a while, but I haven't read much, like, read work out loud much mm-hmm. in general recently. Actually, the last time was with you. Um, yeah, we had a private poetry reading yes. at a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it feels, it feels really good to read work. Yeah. Yeah. Queer art. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so both of the pieces that we just read are like explicitly queer. Yes. Explicitly bisexual, even specifically. Um, and sometimes we write things that are perhaps not explicitly queer. Um, not every poem in my book is about being bisexual. Um, however, uh, I am always bisexual. And so to me, at my own work, I feel that, uh, I am queer and therefore everything that I make is queer, uh, kind of regardless of content because like my experience informs uh my process and the work itself um and maybe other people don't feel that way and that's fine um but i'm curious um what you think about that like how uh how queerness like plays into um art making and is that too general of a question no um (laughs) it is a general question but i have a story that i speak speak that i think speaks to it um so the novel that i've been working on is a young adult novel uh and the main character is in sort of a love triangle um with two guys i love a love triangle um Love shapes, love geometry, quadrangles, like the more actually just more love people. Geometry. In, yeah, just like make it complicated. Get a lot of people involved. Like you got me. Um, <laughs> I love parallelograms. <laughs> um, and so. It was an interesting there are sort of some like layers to the story, so it was it's it was interesting to work on it in that like. I knew from the beginning that one of the like central engines of the story or engines of conflict was going to be um her relationship to these two guys. But I did feel kind of weird about that 
because I was like, ugh, this is so straight. Um, <laughs> and I felt weird about it. Um, and so at various points, I tried to be like, well, I'll just like uh, sort of make the main character bisexual, but like put it in her backstory. I'll just like talk about, you know, Give a girl that she girlfriend. dated or something. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I tried to sort of like force it in there. And I was like, this isn't working. So I was like, okay, I'll just like give up on that. Um, but I had, I also had some fears around like, okay, if I, if I'm able to sell this book, if it gets published, am I going to get like um, boxed into straight people books? Like, because uh. there is something. And I think that was both founded and unfounded. Like some of it was definitely fear based, but there is like um, it's very common for writers. If you l- write a specific type of book, the for a publisher to want at least your like second book, but maybe even like your third book to be sort of similar to mm-hmm. that book because people read your first book and they want more of that. Yeah, you're and so, yeah. So like if your first book is a fantasy novel, they want you to write more fantasy novels maybe you don't have to write fantasy novels forever but they're gonna want you to write at least one more Mm -hmm. um for building your audience you could decide not to do that you can do whatever you want but um i try to be cognizant of like the business perspective because like i do want to sell this book and Mm -hmm. um whatever so i was like am i gonna get uh Am I going to get stuck writing straight people books, basically? We wouldn't let that happen. <laughs> but then simultaneously, uh, people would read parts of the book, and there would be, like, little bits where they would be like, wait, sorry, are the two guys also in love? Oh. And I'd be like, well, no, but I don't mind <laughs> that you thought that. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, oh, is she in love with her roommate? And I was like, well, no, but also, I mean, she's not, not. <laughs> so there were, she de- could be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like there were, there were little things in there that, um, fertile for fan fiction. Yeah. <laughs> things that like I wasn't doing on purpose, but that other people were picking up and being like, but it seems like these people have like chemistry or like there's something sort of going on there, which I guess was like my bisexuality just like <laughs> installing itself. Um, and I was like, well, I'm not I'm not mad that like it's not they're not misreading the text. Right. That just wasn't necessarily my like explicit intention. Yeah. But then once I started to think about that, I was like, well, I mean. Just because this is a story about people of opposite genders falling in love, not of opposite genders, people of different genders mm-hmm. falling in love, um, that doesn't have to mean that any of these people are straight. Mm-hmm. Like, um, they just happen to be in this particular story. That's what this story is about. And so I kind of did a draft that was like, these people aren't necessarily straight. They're just that that's just you might perceive them as straight in this context um and that felt better but I was like is this gonna be like 
then I was like, are people going to be confused? I was like, I don't know what to do here. Some more people read it and they were like, oh, yeah, this is sort of like, oh, I like this. This is fun. Um, and so now I'm doing another revision and I'm sort of making it more. I'm making it more explicitly queer. Mm hmm. While also it's still like, like this is still a story about people of different genders falling in love. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'm still I'm still figuring out how it's working because I'm in this in the revision, but like letting the sort of the things that were pinging for certain people where they were picking up on like, wait, is there like something going on here? Um, letting that go from being subtext to text Mm. and I'm still playing with that um so we'll see what happens also sometimes I'm like wow is anyone gonna want to publish this not because it's not good but because it's maybe a little unconventional to be like yeah actually this is just a book full of chaotic bisexuals having feelings I like that Um, I I would buy it Um, I guess the, that for me was a, like a many layered, a staged experience of like everything I write being queer because it started out and I was like, these are straight people. And then I was like, well, maybe they're not straight. This is just a like quote unquote straight story. And then I was like, well. Maybe they're queer, but it's like subtext. I'm like not really going to get into it. It's not super pertinent to the story. I was like, well, actually, what if I made it pertinent to the story, even if it's not about mm-hmm. that? But like, what if I let that be a layer, a color in the palette? Um, yeah. And also, it was just there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, there are some, like, uh, there's one poem I'm thinking of in particular that is not in the book. Um, I don't know that I'll really ever publish it as a poem because I am, like, wrestling with fitting it into the form of poetry. It might be an essay um, of this experience that I had that, like, I think takes a lot of context to talk about, which is, like, why I feel like it maybe lends itself more to an essay. That was the last time I looked at it. I was like, I think that's where this is going to go. Um, but the, the poem version of it, I've like had people read it. Um, and there's like a few different threads and like one of them is like about being a queer person who is like not visibly queer in the situation and like sitting with the discomfort of knowing that like, I'm like actually safe in this situation because of like, of the passing privilege, but like also the like internal knowledge that I'm actually like not like that I don't feel safe. Yeah. Um, and then there's like you're also emotionally unsafe, even if you might yeah. be physically safe. Yeah, exactly. And then I like also had this like interesting uh, experience of like whiteness that's like sort of happening at the same time. I was driving mm. through the South <laughs> uh, with someone that I didn't know. And um, like, I think that the like the experiences of like, like a visible identity versus like an unperceived identity in a given like there's like like they go together yeah but I'm like there's so much context and like the thing that like was I feel like like a lot of those things were sort of working together 
in the poem but like the thing that a lot of people have given me feedback on was like one of the people that I'm talking about is a woman and then one of the people I'm talking about is a man and I'm like talking about like different relationships with them but like the pronoun change was like confusing for people and I've gotten that feedback on poems sometimes like other poems that are like less complex and I'm like I don't think that's confusing we often have more than one character in a poem um you just assumed that I was straight um (laughs) and so sometimes when I get that feedback I'm like "Mm, am I confusing or do you presume heterosexuality Mm, yes um and sometimes I am confusing um but yeah I don't know I just sometimes like being explicit about bisexuality in work can be tricky because um it's sort of like a thing that you have to like show or like say um versus just like letting it be I guess you don't necessarily have to say it but you do have to show it in some way or else like it's not there um and you know if you don't like explicitly address it sometimes it's confusing and then I feel like that also gets to a question of like intended audience yes um like my book as we discussed um was tagged queer so I was on like the LGBTQ uh lists on the evil corporation website and stuff and um, I, like, had interesting conversations with people recently about, like, the value of, um, the value or the reasoning behind, like, uh, labeling your work with various facets of your identity. Um, and there is, like, I don't know, I experienced some discourse um, about, like, if, if uh, labeling your work as queer, like, alienates people. Um and I don't care if it does, first of all. Um, and yeah, also I don't <laughs> worry about alienating straight people, yeah. I'll tell you. I uh, posted a thing on Instagram the other day. That, uh, I reposted something that said, like, wishing all the homophobes a very uncomfortable June. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I think is fine. But, um, yeah, but, like, the first layer is that I simply don't care. And the second layer is, like, if I wanted to make something for a general audience I would like make a commercial (laughs) you know (laughs) like I write poetry I'm not under the impression that like the whole world reads poetry um and particularly my poetry um like that's just like not a model of art making that I uh engage with realistically um I'm like not making things for the masses um and also, like, a lot of people are queer, so I don't feel like, um, I don't feel very boxed in by that. And also, like, if somebody uh, sees that my book is labeled as queer, uh, or as categorized, I should say there's, like, a sticker on it. But <laughs> if someone, like, sees the uh, the category and is like, oh, I don't want to read that, they wouldn't have liked the book anyway. Yeah. You know? Um, and also, I, I, simpl- I don't need their patronage. They can go elsewhere i suppose uh but i mean straight people this is so brave of me but straight people can read my book straight people have read my book um and it's been helpful but yeah i assume you mean helpful for them it's been eye-opening for them what uh what they're missing out on exactly (laughs) (laughs) no i have uh two two brave straight friends uh who read my book pre uh publishing um and gave very helpful feedback um, not because they're heterosexual, because they're good writers. But yeah, also, um, you're welcome. <laughs> this is my service to your community. 
This is a topic that I could talk about forever. Oh, there's like so many layers Mm -hmm. to it. Um, Both just like the experience of making art in the world. um, But then also like how art intersects with identity, how it intersects with the queer identity specifically. We were having a conversation before we started recording about like who gets to make art like about queerness um and the complexity of both like believing that people should not have to come out in order to like explore their queerness in their art or like make you know write a queer story or whatever like people should not have to come out they should not have to show credentials Mm -hmm. um and also like not wanting people who've not had certain experiences to like write about those things mm-hmm. and the or even just like wanting the transparency yes yeah. yeah um and like how much of that is just like an emotional reaction um not that emotional reactions are bad but sometimes they're not like Sometimes your gut reaction to a thing when you step back and think about it, you're like, oh, I don't actually think that there was anything wrong with this. It's just in the moment I was like, oh, you you can't do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Parsing how much of that is the emotional reaction versus how much of it is like a founded concern because when things are self-monitored, the... Um, the people who are least likely to sort of do the introspection or to like think deeply about the work they're creating um are usually the people most likely to do something harmful yeah and so how do you thread that needle of being like people shouldn't have to show their credentials but also if we if no one has to show their credentials, the people who aren't thinking like you the people who like aren't being responsible about the identities that they are uh, making content about are the ones who are going to do the harm and not worry about it. Yes. Versus like perhaps a well-meaning straight person, including a queer character, might be like, oh, I don't know if, the, if, if I like they, they might think about it and perhaps talk themselves out of it or be talked out of it. Whereas like they're. Uh, portrayal of a queer person like might have been like helpful or like thoughtful yeah and some person just being like i wonder what two lesbians do when they're alone (laughs) i'm not gonna do any research anyways here's my book um that's those that's different yeah Uh, but someone who's like in that second bucket um isn't going to like worry about uh ramifications for anybody except for themselves and on some level, we, like, need some amount of people creating work outside of their experience. Otherwise, like, you end up, even just, like, in if you're thinking about a book, like, if you only write about, if I only write characters that have my specific experience, it's not actually going to be much of a book because it would just be <laughs> a bunch of... Bisexual, (laughs) non-binary people obsessed with Harry Styles who grew up in Las Vegas. Like, just like, (laughs) like we could have probably, you know, a really good discussion about 
the new Harry's house album, but like that, it's not a book. Like there's nothing, <laughs> yeah. you know, nothing happens there. Like, um, you need, you need sites of difference to like create tension basically. Yeah. Like if you're talking, if you're thinking about a novel, yeah. um, <laughs> I'm just like imagining it's like a TV show. Um, but like Chelsea gets home and there's just like another Chelsea in the kitchen. <laughs> You guys are all like roommates. Oh God! See, I actually had like um. It's a horror. You movie. know your fear of like, what if we're all robots? Yeah. I have that feeling around like being replaced by like a version of me from an alternate universe, and like no oh. one notices. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. For for me, that fear would not be the replacement. It would be that nobody would notice. Personally, um, I'm, I mean, you can feel differently. But no, it's the like it's the two things. Yeah, it's they go together. Yeah. Um, that you're replaceable. It's not even the. It's like. It's that someone could sort of perform me just as well as oh. I exist as me. Like the people would just be like, wow. "Yeah, that's just what Chelsea's like." Wow. <laughs> yeah. One time, a uh, friend of the show and your former roommate, Bill Friday did like a very brief impression of me of this like particular like gesture that I do and I wanted to just like fall into the floor and he like wasn't he's like a very nice person uh he was just perceiving me and I was like oh my god you could be Christina (laughs) yeah so it's that like it's the idea that like if someone just had you're just a set of behaviors yeah, or if they just had like the right set of information about me they wouldn't have had to actually like have my experiences or my memories mm-hmm. or anything they could just like show up and read the lines and everybody would just like accept it <laughs> yeah that to me feels very similar to my fear about robots because it's like i'm afraid that i'm just a set of data i think maybe what feels different to me is that when other people are like but what if we're all just robots you're like no that's worse not better yeah whereas there's not a like um you're thinking about this like like everyone around you is a human and the same, but then you're the one who's like picked up and replaced. Yes. I don't yeah, I don't know what it it's pro it's not really different, but it, it just has a I mean slightly I, different quality to sure. me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. Ah. <laughs> um, Being a person is so silly. <laughs> truly ridiculous. Um Honestly, I feel like we're gonna have to have like another conversation about this because i like there are so many things that we like could still talk about um well luckily um as you mentioned earlier in the episode uh, we have agreed to do this indefinitely yes exactly Um, you don't have to fit all of your thoughts and ideas into one thing wow full circle wow brain exploded that was not planned let me just be (laughs) transparent with you at home (laughs) sometimes the theme emerges yeah well would you like to close us out? Yeah, sure. Um, this is the last poem of the book. Um, Spoiler when- alert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, a lot of people suggested that I switch it out with the second to last uh, poem in the book. But I disagree because um, <laughs> obviously because here we are. Um, the first book, the first poem in the book is about sex robots. And the last poem is about Freddie Mercury. And when I set out to figure out the middle i was like here's the starting point here's the ending point how are we gonna get there and so when they were like switch it with this other poem which was like a love poem about my partner i was like no like the story is not 
that you don't get it but <laughs> it's the behind you the have scenes. all the tools you need to write a novel now just so you know <laughs> <laughs> imagine a novel that begins with sex robots and ends with freddie mercury i mean it's <laughs> i can't imagine it <laughs> um yeah, I love to um, end sets with this poem because I wrote it to make myself feel good. And it makes me happy. Ode to Fat Bottom Girls. It is Saturday night and Freddie Mercury and I are sprawled separate on my couch swiping through Tinder. We swap stories about bad dates and good kissers. A boy messages me about my red hair and we laugh while a girl messages him about his smile crescent enough to fill the whole frame. He says he really did love her, and I believe him. I tell him that I cannot sing, but that I too have called the sun a lover. We have both believed in forever more than once. He gave himself a grounding name. Virgo boy who chose the hot side of his own planet, there is logic in this. I could call myself Christina Venus, admit at every introduction that my heart rules my body, Try to live up to a name that takes after a place I don't know and a heat I can't handle, and this is not the same thing. I am pretending not to see any of the girls with bios that say lesbians only. We talk about how it feels to tell a lover who you are, only to be corrected. To know they will cut you in half and still swallow you whole. How the audience only accepts your wholeness when you are making art about being broken. I ask him if he thinks bisexuality is really just a phase, and he says, Honey, of course. What else could our bodies possibly be? Don't tell me you don't sing and scream and mumble and hide the way the moon does. What is a body if not the love it wants? What is the love you want if not the moon, spinning around everything she knows, believing that circles mean forever, when we know even the sun will burn out? Freddie says they will tell you who you are, and you will show them. It is up to you to decide who to believe. Mm. Lovely. My platonic love poem to Virgo, so that was for you, Chelsea. Thank you. <laughs> I accept that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the book is on the internet. Please purchase it. Um, yeah. Leave me a five-star review. Even if you didn't like it, uh, keep it to yourself. And... Um, Chelsea's book will be out in the world at some point, and at that point, I will also ask you to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> and keep making art. If you make art, make more. Yeah. Do that. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode. The Bipod is made possible by our patrons, including Bicon level supporters like on god gill you can find us on instagram at the bipod and on our website thebipod.com this show is produced and edited by me chelsea bergen and our theme song is coming home by snowflake